Bibles to Romans chapter 14, Romans chapter 14, and as you turn there, I want us to just remember um, uh, Robert Flo and his family, his brother's wife passed away yesterday around 2 o'clock, and, and uh, we just need to lift um, this family up in our prayers, and I know you will in the days ahead. Romans chapter 14 We'll beginning reading at verse 14 through the, the chapter. Okay, and let's, let's stand in reverence of God's Word. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourselves and God. Blessed is the one who has no regard to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. You may be seated, and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just um, join together in prayer. Uh, We pray for Robert and his family, Lord, that you will just meet um, the spiritual needs and the emotional needs that this family is going through now. We pray, Lord, as we just turn to your holy word, and Lord, as we think on these things, Lord, I pray that you will give us insight, but Lord, more importantly, that you will help us to apply these truths uh, to our lives today, because Lord, we know that your word is as applicable to us in the day we live as it did when Paul wrote these words, and we thank you for that. So, Lord, I pray that we would just put other things aside. And, Lord, um, allow your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You know, one of my dearest friends used to say all the times, love is the greatest thing of all. If I heard him say that once, I believe I've heard him say it a hundred times. Love is the greatest thing in all the world. And you know, he was right. 
And as we read these words and the previous chapters that we have already looked at, the Apostle Paul agrees as well. Just think of the last three chapters that we've been studying. Paul's been stressing the importance of showing love to one another here in the church, but also throughout the world and the community. Listen to these verses. Chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Chapter 12, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Chapter 13, verse 8. Owe no man anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Chapter 13, verse 9. For the commandments are summed up in these words, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then chapter 13, verse 10, love does no wrong to your neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So Paul is saying that love, he he agrees with my friend completely, love is the greatest thing in the world. And we saw last week that this love is agape. You know, there are different kinds of love. There's eros, that's sexual love. There's phileo, that's brotherly love. There's starge uh, in the Greek, and that is, um, um, uh, it, it would be more like family love. But here, this is agape. And it's talking about God's love for us and the love that we ought to have for one another. It's an unconditional love. It's not a love, I love you, but, or I love you, if. No, it's an unconditional love. It doesn't matter the injury. It doesn't matter the harm that the person has done to you. It loves, and it's a sacrificial love, the kind of love that Jesus had for us when he literally laid down his life for us. You know, it's one thing to say, I love you. It's another thing to actually do it. Now, how can we genuinely show love for all of our brothers and sisters in Christ? And Paul shares with us four ways here. Four ways that that we can actually show agape, agape love to one another uh, in the body of Christ. Number one, he says, we must never be a stumbling block. That's the first thing. We must never be a stumbling block. Again, verse 13, chapter 14. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Evidently, they were doing it. Well, see, nothing is new in the church. It's always been going on. And evidently, this was going on in the church. And Paul says, stop it, you know. You know, stop passing judgment. Then he says, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Now, Paul uses two very important words here in this verse. Stumbling block and hindrance. Stumbling block and hindrance. Now, what is a stumbling block? Well, a stumbling block is something that is carelessly put in someone's path that trips him up. And it's done really unintentionally. Just carelessly it happens. A hindrance... Well, that's intentional. It is something that is deliberately put in someone's path in order to trip someone up. Now, Paul is addressing the strong believer. We talked about that 
uh, last week, the strong believer and how he should treat a weaker, a weaker brother in Christ. Now, remember, the weaker brother has scruples. <laughs> you know, he, he doubts about things that are in the gray areas, the non-essentials in the Christian life. He has a conscience against indulging in certain activities, even though they are not forbidden in Scripture. Okay? That's scruples. In Paul's day, it was eating meat that had been offered to idols. Uh, among the Jewish Christians, it was eating uh, things that were forbidden in the Old Testament Mosaic law. See, the weak believer thought it was wrong to eat meat offered to idols. Now today, we don't worry about meat. That's not an issue in our world today. But it might be shopping on Sunday, it might be dancing, it might be playing cards, it might be going to movies, it might be a number of things. Now, that's the weak brother. The strong believer, on the other hand, understands his or her freedom and liberty in Jesus Christ and has no hesitation at all to engage in activities that are not forbidden in the Scriptures. Now, Paul is saying to the strong believer, never, ever put a stumbling block, either intentionally or unintentionally, in the path of your weaker brother in order to cause him or her to stumble in sin and be harmed spiritually. He is saying, don't do it. He's emphatic about that. Now, here, I believe Paul lays down a biblical principle that will guide us in our relationships with one another. It is a biblical principle that will guide us in our relationships with one another. And the principle is this. Again, I'm just repeating Paul. We must do absolutely nothing that might cause another believer to fall into sin, even though we have freedom in Jesus Christ. Even though we have freedom in Jesus Christ. Even though it's not forbidden in the Word of God. I like what Kent Hughes writes in his commentary. He says, We must determine not to be a witting or unwitting cause to a weaker brother's stumble as we exercise our Christian freedom. Our Christian lives must be salted with the refusal to do anything that will harm the spiritual life of weaker brothers. Now, Paul goes on to explain really what he means in, in verse 14. He says, I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. Now, Paul identifies himself here with the stronger brother. He is saying, I am a strong believer. He understood his liberty and his freedom in Jesus Christ. Now, see, Paul, he was fully convinced that there was nothing wrong with eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. He knew that there was not an idol, that idols were not real, that these false gods were not real, and he had no problem whatsoever to eat meat that had been offered to idols. He was fully convinced that there were no unclean foods. In other words, he understood that all foods come from God and they are good to eat. But he also understood and this is important, that if a weaker brother believes a certain food is unclean, he shouldn't eat it because it is unclean to that person. 
And if he eats it anyway, he is violating his conscience and committing a sin. And Paul says to, com- to cause another believer to violate his or her conscience is a very serious matter to God. He goes on in verse 15. He says, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Now let's try to, you know, apply this in our own context, in our own life today. I think Paul was saying, if you flaunt your liberty before your weaker brother, and your example causes him or her to sin, you're not walking in love. You're not treating your brother or sister in Christ in love. Well, why is that true? Because love seeks what is best for another believer. Love brings no harm to your brother or sister in Christ. Paul is saying, listen, to flaunt your liberty before your brother, regardless of the consequences it might bring to your brother, is wrong. And I think Paul would say it's unconscionable to do that. You know, the attitude that says, you know, I have liberty to drink socially, and and if you don't like it, that's your problem. It's not showing love to a weaker brother that might have a real problem with that. In fact, that attitude might force him or her to violate his or her conscience and say, well, if it's okay for him to drink, then it must be okay for me to drink. And, well, if it's a problem in their lives and they have a conscience against it and they do it, and it's a problem, it could easily destroy that person's Christian life. Now, see, the Apostle Paul is horrified that any believer would do that. He really, he really is horrified by that. Well, see, Christian liberty. A lot of people just don't understand Christian liberty. Christian liberty is not flaunting your freedom before others and doing what you please. Now, that's not Christian liberty. Well, see, Christian liberty is the ability to make the right choices in life and to please God with the choices that you make. I like what Martin Luther wrote about true Christian liberty. This is what Martin Luther, the, the, um, the great reformer, this is what he says. He says, we're all immensely free in Christ. And he meant that. I mean, we have freedom in Christ Jesus. Where, where, where the word of God is not clear, or, is, or the word of God does not prohibit or forbid, we have freedom. And Martin Luther understood that. He says, our only bondage, and this is important, our only bondage is the bond of love to our fellow believer. And guess what? We are bound in our love for one another. I think it all boils down to this. Which is more important, your liberty or your brother and sister in Christ? How can we do anything to hurt, to harm, to distress, to bring grief to anyone for whom Christ died. Our Christian duty is to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Love limits our liberty in order to love our brother, our sister in Christ, well. So that's the first principle. That, that's the first reason, you know, and how we should love one another as believers. The second 
way that we should love one another is we must practice kingdom priorities. We must practice kingdom priorities. Again, verse 16 through verse, through verse 18, it says, So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Now, as believers, we are citizens of the kingdom of God, the Bible says. And as citizens of the kingdom, we should live, live, behave, act like citizens of the kingdom. And Paul says, you know, God's kingdom is not about eating meat or, or not eating meat. It's not about external things. It's not about what a believer wears or does not wear to church on Sunday. It's not about jeans or suits. It's not about dresses or pants. It's not about whether his hair is short or his hair is long. It's not about whether he or she dances or not. It's not about whether he likes the King James Version or the ESV. It's not about whether she likes hymns or, or he likes praise and worship choruses. You know, it's amazing that churches today are splitting over the stupidest stuff imaginable. And it must grieve God's heart to see God's people fussing and fighting over trivial things like the length of the pastor's sermon. Some people just walk out, just walk out. (laughs) Worship styles, worship styles, you know? You know, I just hear almost every day about about churches splitting over music, worship styles, you know, the color of the carpet. And, you know, we, we laugh at that, but, oh, that's happened more than you would want to admit. Sunday dress. And I, I could just mention a hundred of other things. You know what these things are? They are preferences. Preferences. There's nothing wrong with preferences. We all have them. I have preferences. I have things I like and things I don't like so much. But you don't split a church over it. You don't push away from from your brother or sister in Christ because of that. You just don't do that. You know what? I don't have to have my way. Neither do you. I don't have to have my way and neither do you. And if we don't get our way, it's not the end of the world, is it? That's really not. Well, see, God's kingdom, that's what Paul is saying. God's kingdom is not about the externals. That's what the Pharisees were hung up on. Rules and regulations and all of that. The kingdom is about eternal things. Eternal things. And Paul tells us what they are. Well, I didn't make him mad. I'm glad he's back. The kingdom is about righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. Verse 17. Let that sink in. The kingdom is not about these these external things that, that, that people get so upset and bent out about. You know, the kingdom is about 
righteousness, spiritual things, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. You know, these are the kingdom priorities that we should care about. Not the stupid stuff that divides us so often. You see, what really matters in the life of the church are the kingdom priorities. And you know what? These kingdom priorities should guide us as believers. They should guide us. And we should not be guided by how can I enjoy my freedom in Christ at the expense of my brother? But rather, how can I help my brother and sister in Christ grow in righteousness? And that's holiness, Christ-likeness. How can I help my brother and sister in Christ experience God's peace? How can I help my brother and sister in Christ experience the joy of the Holy Spirit? Well, see, this is what the kingdom is about. It's about growing in righteousness, Christ-likeness. It's about knowing God's peace. You know what that is? That's the assurance, that inner assurance that God is in control. It's about experiencing joy in the Holy Spirit, which is that outward mark of God's presence in the life of the believer. You know, at Buckingham Palace in London, England, when the royal banner is flying over the palace, it means the queen is present. If you see that banner flying, the royal flag, the royal banner over the palace, over Buckingham Palace, you know that the queen is in residence. My friend, when the joy of the Lord flies as a banner over our lives, it shows that Christ is present in us. See, we need to show forth the joy of the Lord. It should show on our faces when we come here to worship. And we're worshiping God. The joy of the Lord should, should even be shown on our faces as well as sung from our voices. Does your life show that God is present in your life? Do people look at your life and say, I see Jesus in him. I see Jesus in her. How much healthier would the church be if each believer would major on these kingdom priorities and not our own petty personal preferences? There's another way we show love towards our brothers. You know, don't put a stumbling block. That, that's one. Don't put a stumbling block before your, your fellow believer. Practice kingdom priorities. Well, the third is we must pursue what is good for others. We must pursue what is for the benefit of our brothers and sisters. That's what Paul says in verses 19 and 20. He says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything indeed is clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. How are we to show love to one another? Paul just tells us right here in verse 19, by pursuing what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So, so we need to kind of stand back and ask ourselves, does my actions promote peace among my brothers and sisters of Christ, or is it division? 
Am I promoting peace in my relationships with other brothers, or is it division, divisiveness? Does my actions build up my brothers and sisters in Christ? Does my actions encourage them in the Lord? Again, I think of Barnabas. You know, he was the son of encouragement. And and wherever he went, whatever he did, he was encouraging somebody. Oh, how we need more Barnabases in the church today. Those two questions. Does my actions promote peace? Does my actions build up my brothers and sisters in Christ? If we can't answer those questions by yes, we must stop whatever we're doing. Just stop it. That's what Paul is saying. Just stop it. And again, he sums up what he is saying in verse 21. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or do, notice, anything. What does anything mean? It means anything. It means anything. Do not eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Again, Kent Hughes and his commentary on Romans, he points out that the word good here carries the idea of beautiful. Beautiful. Let's translate it that way. It is beautiful not to eat meat or to drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. It is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing to do. That's what Paul is saying. It is beautiful because it shows true, genuine love. It's beautiful because it is unselfish. It's sacrificial. It is beautiful because it puts other people first. And who's our example? Oh boy, Jesus. I think what he gave up to redeem us. It's a beautiful thing to say to your brother and sister in Christ, I will not do anything, whatever it might be. I won't do anything that might cause you to fall into sin, even though I have the freedom to do it in Jesus Christ. I'm not going to do it. That's love. That's, why, that's what makes love the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> that's what makes it the greatest thing in the world. I heard the story of Charles Spurgeon when he was at the height of his popularity in London, the Metropolitan Tabernacle, uh, one day he was, he was walking down the streets of London and he saw a sign in a store window that read, We sell the cigar that Spurgeon smokes. He was so convicted by what he saw that immediately he gave up smoking. He came to see that what was a freedom for him (laughs) might cause another brother or sister in Christ to stumble and sin. Showing love. We need to do what's good for our brother and sister in Christ. And then finally, another way we show this love is we must do all things with a good conscience. A good conscience. Verse 22 through verse 23. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. And whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. 
here Paul, kind of as an aged pastor, is giving some good pastoral advice to this church in Rome. To the strong, Paul says, verse 22, The faith that you have, keep between yourselves and God. Blessed, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Do you see what Paul is saying? Let your Christian liberty be between you and God. And you are blessed if no one is led into sin by what you do. Now he turns to the weak. (laughs) And he says, But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Paul is saying it is always wrong to violate your conscience. Always. It's always wrong to go against your conscience. No matter the pressure that you feel from the outside. No matter the, no, no matter the, the, the peer pressure that you might feel in school. No matter the peer pressure that you might feel on the job. Or wh- wherever it might be. Among your friends. Whatever the pressure might be. It is never right to violate your conscience. Another great commentary, C.E.B. Cranfield has a classic commentary in Romans, and this is what he writes. He says, Paul has advice for the weaker brother, the man with scruples. He may sometimes do something because everyone else is doing it. He may do it because he does not wish to, stay, uh, uh, to stand in the, major- the minority of one. He may do it because he does not wish to be different. He may do it because he does not wish to court ridicule or unpopularity. Paul's answer is that if, for any, for any of these reasons, a man defiles his conscience, he is guilty of sin. If a man in his heart of hearts believes a thing to be wrong, if, it cannot, if he cannot rid himself of the feeling that it is forbidden, then he who does it, if he does it, for him it is sin. The neutral thing only becomes a right thing when it is done out of faith, out of the real reasoned conviction that is the right thing to do. The only motive for doing anything is that a man believes it is to be right. When a thing is done out of a social convention, or out of fear of unpopularity to please men, he says, then it is wrong. So the wise apostle Paul, Pastor Paul, gives us four ways to truly love our brothers in Christ. Spells them out. Number one, we must never do anything that would cause our brother to stumble. Anything, he says. We must have kingdom priorities. We, we need to major not on the externals, but the eternal things that we've talked about. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. Number three, we must do what is good for others. We need to ask ourselves once again, how does my action or my behavior affect my brother and sister in Christ? Does it bring peace? Does it promote peace or division? Does it build him up? Does it encourage him? Or or does it discourage him or her? 
And then finally, we must all do all things with a clear conscience. Never, never violate our conscience. And never cause another person to violate theirs. See, it's all about love. It's all about loving your brother. Wassam Saul Baptist, let's be this kind of church. Brothers and sisters in Christ who really genuinely love one another and care about one another so strongly that we're willing even to give up our, our personal rights for the good of the body. Of course, our great example is Jesus, isn't it? John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 5, 8, but God demonstrated, he showed his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, that's what Christmas is all about. In just about three weeks, we're going to be celebrating Christmas. That's what Christmas is all about. It's about God sending His Son, Jesus, to rescue mankind from the clutches of sin. And the truth is, we're all sinners. There's not a person in here today who doesn't deserve to be separated from God for all eternity in a terrible place called hell. And you know what? We can do absolutely nothing in ourselves to remedy that problem. Nothing. That's why Jesus came. That's what, that's what Christmas is all about, folks. Jesus came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He came into this world as a little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. The perfect God-man. And then at the right time, In God's time, he went to the cross and he died as our sin substitute to pay the penalty for my sin and yours. And the third day, oh, the third day he rose from the dead. Hallelujah. We have a risen Savior. See, my friend, Jesus' death and resurrection makes it possible for you and I to be saved. For you and I to be brought into a right relationship with God. That's what Romans is all about. Having that right standing before God. All we must do, listen up, is repent of our sins and put our trust in Jesus Christ as the only Savior. The one and only Savior. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. We can't work our way to heaven. It is the gift of God. A gift is free. Cost us nothing. Just reach out and receive it. Not a result of works. Again, we can't work our way to salvation so that no one may boast. Well, see... None of us, when we get to heaven, will have anything to boast about. In fact, probably what we will say is, oh, I should have gone the other way. (laughs) Left up to me, that's where I was headed. But thank you, Jesus, that you came that first Christmas morning. Emmanuel, we sang about it, God with us. And you went to the cross, and you died in my place 
and you rose again from the dead. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. My friend, if you're here today, oh, my friend, if you're here today, I I just challenge you, if you're here today and you've never embraced Christ, never embraced Christ, embrace him today. Yes, I'm calling for a decision on your behalf. If you've never trusted Christ, place your trust and faith in Jesus. You see, salvation shouldn't be a hope-so salvation. And I, I, I would hate to live my life hoping so. Oh, I hope I make it. Hope, hope I... No, no, no. No. It's a no-so salvation. Once you place your trust in Jesus... You're saved for all eternity. I'll make a promise for you, to you. If you trust Jesus Christ, you'll have the merriest Christmas than you've ever had in your whole life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your love. We just thank you for your amazing grace that sent the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the body of Christ, Lord, that you placed us in a family. A family that we can love one another and, and, and just encourage one another and build one another up and promote peace. Thank you for the family that we have here at Wasmasaw. Oh, Lord, may our love grow more and more. May our love for one another and you grow more and more as the days, the months, the weeks, the years go by. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's stand together.